<clears throat> there's lots of people that can play instruments. There's a lot of people that can sing. There's not a lot of people that are anointed by God to lead in worship. Amen. We've got that here. Amen? Yeah. We've got somebody that will follow the working of the Holy Spirit, and I'm grateful for that. Amen? I'm grateful for pastor and our first lady that would allow me the opportunity to stand up here and preach. I'm thankful to God for the opportunity. Um, and we love our pastor. We love his wife. Just give him a hand clap this morning for what they do. We love you. It is, um, it's definitely a calling to be a pastor and a pastor's wife. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not for just anyone because there is, I believe, a special attack on the ministers of the gospel and especially shepherds of a house because the enemy knows more than anything else that if he can take respect away from a man who stands in a pulpit to lead a congregation, if he can force a wedge between he and the congregation, if he can force a wedge between him and his wife or between him and his family, then he's won over half the battle. And so how much should we pray and lift up our pastor and his wife? Well, the answer is exponentially. We should be lifting them up at all times because it's hard. It's hard work. It's not just he comes and prepares a message and he comes up here and preaches. It's the fact that it is the weight of every single person that walks in these doors is on his heart, is on her heart. They don't just have to deal with church people. And I'm just going to leave that in a category all by itself. It's not the fact that they just deal with that, but they have their own life, their own family. And you know just as well as I do that life and family, that ain't easy, especially the latter. Family is not easy. And, um, but I'm grateful this morning for the opportunity to stand here. And uh, I told Brother Tim this morning, I said, I don't know how hard it is to just follow, but I need you to just follow this morning because um, God's really dealt with me. And uh, I'm telling you, I could go about 600 different ways this morning because uh, God is just dealing with my heart. But I want you to, just for a minute, I want you right where you're sitting, I want you to just stretch your hand up here and I want you to pray that the Holy Spirit would use me for the word that we need today. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your presence that we already feel in this place. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for showing up and that we don't have to call you to come. You meet us right where we are. And right now, this morning, God, I surrender my heart and my mind. Everything that I am, I give it to you this morning, God. And I ask you to speak through your servant, to give the word that's necessary in the time that we're in right now today. God, we love you and we thank you for everything that you've done and everything that you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1. There is a, um, I feel like, a forgotten doctrine 
that isn't seen in the church world today. I say doctrine, teaching, whatever you want to call it, principle, and it is living a lifestyle of holiness. And if there were ever a time where the church needed to return to holiness, it's the day that we live right now. See, holiness is not just a word that we say. Holiness is a character trait of any person that calls themselves the name of a Christian. If they call themselves by the name of Christian or a servant of the Most High God, then it is an absolute character trait that we live a holy lifestyle. Holiness is not something that we can just use one day and the next day we live a different lifestyle. Holiness is an everyday choice that the child of God makes. And I want to say this as simple as I can. I want to tell you that holiness for the child of God is not an option. It's a mandate by God that we live a holy lifestyle. This is not going to be a popular message. But this is going to be a necessary message this morning. And I'm fine with that. Because when I said yes to God and the call on my life, I said yes to the bad messages and the good messages, the frowns and the excitement, the tears and the boos. I said yes to all of it. And I can tell you, I'm way past the point where I really care what you think. And uh, I mean that respectfully. I do mean that respectfully. But when I stand before God, I'm not going to see your face. I'm going to look in the eyes of fire, the one who created me, the one who called me to do what I do. And so this morning, I want to give you the truth. And I believe we hear the truth here in this church. And I want to continue that trait of hearing the truth. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. So prepare your minds for action. And exercise self-control. I think it's interesting that he chose to use that terminology, that phrase. So prepare your minds for action. How, how do you prepare yourself for action? It is something actively that happens, correct? If I know that I'm about to be involved in an altercation, there is something that switches in my mind that causes me to think differently than I did before that altercation came about, correct? If I'm about to be in a fight, my mind immediately switches from let me be passive to now something's got to change. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Here's something that the child of God has become lax on in the day that we live. It is preparing our mind for action. Here's the real truth. The real truth is, is that there is an enemy who hates you. He doesn't dislike you. He doesn't just want you to not succeed. He hates you. More than anything in this world, all he wants is for you to die and be with him for eternity. All he wants more than anything in this world is for you to lose your soul to this world. That's what he wants. You know why? Because his fate is sealed and he don't want to be alone. 
Anything that resembles God, he hates it. And so he, just look at your neighbor and say, he hates you. That's the first thing that we've got to accept. We don't, we don't wrestle with the things that the world thinks we wrestle with. We wrestle with an unseen world that can only be attacked by the Spirit of God who is also unseen and working in a world that we cannot see with our physical eyes. And the minute you walk into a battle and you haven't prepared your mind for action, what does that mean? That means that I've got to rely on the work of the Holy Spirit to change my mindset to say, I'm not fighting against flesh and blood. I'm fighting against principalities and spiritual evil that is present in the world today. I need you to understand this morning that we are in a war. We are in a fight. And it's a fight that is going on for your very soul. The thing I told you just a minute ago that God wants to wear as a glove, but he cannot. Why? Because we won't let go of things in life. Prepare your mind for action and exercise self-control. What a very powerful statement. I haven't even read the whole verse yet, but I want to say this. While you're preparing your mind for action, it goes hand in hand with exercising self-control. Some of you are not going to like what I'm about to say. Exercising self-control means that sometimes you got to shut your mouth. Exercising self-control means that sometimes you got to think longer before you open your mouth. Exercising self-control means that sometimes you got to be uncomfortable knowing that I'm not going to get what I want. Well, boo-hoo for you. I don't care. Neither does God. God doesn't care if you get what you want. God cares if he gets what he wants, which is your soul, which is your heart, which is your mind. He said, serve me with everything that you have in you, all your mind, heart, body, soul, spirit, strength. Everything that you have is given to you by God. When God says that I require a tenth of everything, that means everything. It don't just mean your money. It means I want your mind. I want your heart. I want your spirit. I want your body. I want you to give the first of everything that you have to me, and then I will bless what is left. Everything that is here, that exists, is brought together and brought to life by the very words of Jesus Christ. The Bible says he's the word. And in the beginning, God says he spoke a word and everything that is created was created by what? The word. Who's the word? It's Jesus Christ. If Jesus didn't care for you to be here, you wouldn't be here. When you say your life is not important, well, guess what? If, if Jesus stopped saying your name, you wouldn't be here. So obviously you mean something to God. But here's the thing. If I'm going to prepare my mind for action and exercise self-control, that is in every area of my life. I got to put my wants and my desires to the side to fulfill the desire of the one true king, the one who created everything that is in existence, the one who sits on the throne today and the earth is his footstool, the one who fought the battle for you and has already won the victory, the one who wrapped himself in flesh and came and died on a cross and took your sin and your shame and nailed it there, the one who was taken off the cross and buried in a borrowed tomb because he knew he wasn't going to stay there, there was no need to buy a tomb because he knew he wasn't going to be there for long when he rose from the grave he sent the holy spirit the same holy spirit that raised christ jesus from the dead lives inside of you 
This is the God who is asking you. He's not asking. He's requiring of you to exercise self-control and to ready your mind for action because let me tell you, it's not going to get easier. It's not going to get better. It is going to seem more like despair every day that we wake up. As long as we are under the world system, we're going to see negativity. We're going to see evil. We're going to see pain. We're going to see all of these things. But here's the thing. If you're a child of God, you don't live under the world system. You have a mind that is the mind of Christ. You have a mind that says that one day I'm going to be with him for eternity. And while I'm here, I may have to endure trials and tribulations and pain and agony. And I won't, I won't endure defeat, but I will endure some of the things that the world has to endure, knowing that there's a hope for me that one day I'm going to see that face. That face of the one who made me, who formed me, who knew me in my mother's womb. Before I even spoke a word, he knew me. Before he even called me in, in my present life, he knew me. Before I even knew what it was like to experience the work of the Holy Spirit, God knew me. And that right there alone is something that we could praise him for for the rest of our life. Is the fact that he knew us before we were even outside of our mother's womb. Put that scripture back up if you don't mind, brother. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Next verse. So you must live. He didn't say you ought to live. He didn't say you need to. He didn't say I wish you would. He said, you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. I want to stop right there for just a second. God, help me say this the right way. You can't use the excuse that you don't know any better if you've sat in church at any point in your life. If you've heard the message of the Bible, you cannot say that you don't know any better. If you have been preached to that to live in holiness is the right way to live, you cannot use it as an excuse that you don't know any better. I don't care if you don't have all the answers. You know this one thing, that holiness requires that you die to yourself. That's what holiness requires. He says, so you must live as God's obedient children. What does that mean? If I'm obedient to God, if I'm obedient as his child, that means that I have to live just like his child lived. Oh, God, help us here. Who is his firstborn? Jesus. Who is, who is the one who lived a perfect and a spotless life? It was Jesus. And if we are going to be obedient children, then we have to live like his firstborn. Jesus. We've got to live like Jesus. We've got to love when we don't want to love. We've got to be okay with being uncomfortable. We've got to be okay with not getting what we want. We've got to be okay with knowing that not everybody's going to like us. I'm sorry to tell you, everybody don't like you. I know you thought different. For a long time, I thought different. And then God showed me, everybody don't like you. And that's okay. Everybody doesn't have to like me because God loves me. And here's the thing. The moment 
you surrender to the fact of this is that I don't need man's approval to get me to where God wants me to be. All I need to know is that I'm God's child. How do I know I'm God's child? Because I'm obedient to what he says I'm supposed to do. Let me, let me just say this, and, and I don't want to go off track. But if you can wake up day after day after day after day and not seek the approval of God and not read the word of God and not pray asking for God's direction, I think I'd probably check my relationship and really see what is going on in my walk with Christ. Because obedience, the Bible says, is better than sacrifice. Do you know what was required of them in the Old Testament to get their sins forgiven? It was sacrifice. It was sacrifice, right? That's what allowed them to get back to that relationship, that connection with Father God. We've had that sacrifice made once and for all for us when Jesus died on the cross. We're not, we don't have to offer that sacrifice anymore. The fact of the matter is, is now what God asks of us is what? Obedience. Obedience. Does that mean that I'm not going to mess up? Nope, it doesn't mean that. I will. I'll, I'll mess up. I'll make mistakes because I'm human. But here's the point. If every day I'm not striving to make less and less mistakes, then I'm not striving. I'm not striving for God. Here's the problem with people who don't see holiness as, as a priority in life anymore. The problem with it is, it says holiness is the only way that you're going to see God one day. That's biblical. That's not a preacher wrote that. That's the words of Almighty God. Men wrote it on paper, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But the Bible says, without it, you won't see him. Are you still with me? Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. Next verse. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. I, I, I know this is not a shouting message this morning, and that's fine. But this is my prayer, that you let the Holy Spirit give you ears to hear this morning. Because when you walk out of here today, you can't say that I didn't hear it or I don't know. You're going to say, I was challenged by the Holy Spirit and he gave me truth this morning. But now you must be holy in everything you do just as God who chose you is holy. What does that mean? With every decision that I make in life, I've got to consult God and say, is this the right way to do it? Is this the right way to do it? Is this the right way to spend my money? Is this the right way to spend my time? Is this the right way to speak to my spouse? Is this the right way to discipline my child? Is this the right way that I'm supposed to do this? That's what holiness requires. It requires us to examine ourselves and see if we meet the standard. The standard is not what the world shows you. The standard is what this book says. The standard is what is written in 66 books in this book. In 66 different books, we've given, we're given instruction. Instruction on how to live, on how to carry ourselves, on how to live life, on how to love, on how to speak, on how to walk. And God says very plainly, now you must be holy in everything that you do, just as God who chose you is holy. Next verse. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I'm holy. You can keep moving. 
And remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. Why are we trying to establish ourselves in a temporary residence? Why would we search after the things that the world says we need when this is just a temporary place? We're just passing through. See, this is the thing. Go back to that last verse if you don't mind. It says, he will judge or reward you according to what you do. Not what you say, not the facade that you want people to believe about your life, that everything's perfect and you're some holy spiritual Christian when half the time you don't pray and you don't read your Bible. Not this super spiritual Christian who has seen the lame walk and the dead raised. You're walking around thinking that you're as Christ, but yet our lives don't match it in our private time. It says he will judge or reward you according to what you do. What you do. What does that mean? That means this. That every day that I wake up and I make a decision to be like Christ, then everything that I say has to match the things that I do. If I'm, if I'm going to call myself a child of God, I can't just say it, I have to do it. It's called leading by example. The greatest way you can lead is to lead by example. That's what Jesus did when he walked the earth. He led by example. Next verse. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. You know what is crazy to me? Is that a God who doesn't need me loved me enough to not only create me, but to create me knowing that I wouldn't get it right and that that would require him to send his only son to die for me. I don't know if you understand the reality of what I just said. Because God didn't have to create you. God didn't have to give you the breath in your lungs. And God knew full well that you wouldn't get it right. And that it would require him to send Jesus for you. And yet he created you anyway. What does that say? If I am going to live like God and love like God, then I've got to love no matter what. No matter if I know you don't like me, no matter if I know that you do things that, that would hurt me, I've got to love you because that's what God did. If God did it for me, am I better than God that I shouldn't do it for you? Are you better than God? When we live and we walk and we breathe and we do all of these things, do we ever stop day after day after day and say, if God was done with me today, I wouldn't be breathing. Do we ever say it when we're trying to gain wealth and knowledge and understanding of everything the world says is important? Do we think about that statement, that, that, that very true thing, that if God didn't want me or need me anymore, then he would just stop me from breathing? Do I honor God with the breath that's in my lungs? That's the question that I've got to ask myself. I want you to go to Mark chapter 12 and verse 30. 
Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Jesus is talking about the most important commandment. He said in verse 29, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Mind in the Greek is dianoia, and it literally means a thinking through. Thinking through. That word suggests the understanding or insight or meditation or reflection or perception. The gift of apprehension, the faculty of thought. When your mind is renewed by the Holy Spirit, then you are a different human being. When your mind is transformed, you are a different creature. Let me tell you the initial work of the Holy Spirit when you receive salvation. Yes, there is a level of sanctification that happens. There's a turning of your life from walking towards the world to turning around and walking towards God. There's an initial act of sanctification. Do I believe that it is fully developed in you at that moment? Absolutely not. I can look at my own life and tell you that's not the case. It's not the case. The fact of the matter is, is that work is in place though. That work is in place. Why would Paul say that it's important to crucify your flesh daily if you are just sanctified as you'll ever be the moment you accept Christ? That don't make sense to me, and I'm not smart, okay? But if I'm immediately sanctified, as sanctified as I'm going to get, God help y'all, because I ain't very sanctified, okay? If I hold myself to God's standards, Randall is not very sanctified, I'm just going to be real with you. Okay? Here's the problem. If, though, after that initial work of sanctification, I start finding myself leaving that path and turning back this way, sanctification is no longer the process happening in my life. That means this. One of two things. I truly did not give my life to Christ Or number two, I haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to renew my mind. I can never please God or worship God fully or give him my all as long as he doesn't have this. If he doesn't have this right here, then I'm not walking after Christ. If I'm not giving him this and crucifying my flesh and allowing him to renew my mind, Did you hear what it said in the Greek? It said this. It 
absolutely means, if I'm going to serve God with all my heart, soul, and my mind, my mind is this. It is my understanding. It's my reflection. It's my meditation. It's my insight. It's my perception. How many times have you heard that word this morning? It's my perception. If that's my mind and God's not renewing it, then my perception looks like the world's perception. If God's not renewing my mind, then guess what? I'm going to fear just like the world fears. Here's a question to ask yourself. When the pandemic hit, what was your immediate reaction? Don't answer it out loud. But if you know who holds you, there should never be an ounce of fear or anxiety or panic even if you don't know what's happening or what's going to happen. That's the fact. The fact is this, that when Jesus, when you accept Jesus, guess who comes on the scene? The Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit? He is the agent of change in your life. Do you know what that means? That I can't be the old Randall that I used to be. Does that mean that I'm going to get everything right? No, and I still make some mistakes. But the fact of the matter is this, is God is changing me, actively changing me, as long as my heart is receptive to him. See, God doesn't need you to be this powerful human being. God just needs your permission to be used. God just needs your permission to allow him to do what it is that he wants to do. Because God's not going to force you to be anybody. He's not going to force you to do anything. He wants your permission. Is it love if somebody forces you to love them? No, it's not. I want you to go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. I'm going to give you a decent amount of scripture for the next few minutes because this is what I want you to understand. If you give me 10 minutes, can you give me 10 minutes? 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I want this to change our life this morning. What does is, what is the, the word of God say that the, the word does to us? It washes us. Does the word wash us? It cleanses us. Second Corinthians chapter 10 and verse five says this. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. You want to know what true discipleship is? I just read it to you in one verse. What does that mean? It means if you're not teaching the people around you how to live a holy life, you're not discipling anyone. You know, I challenge the youth every single week back there with life application. I don't just read scripture to them. I give them homework every week. Why? Because it's important that they realize that there is value to applying the word of God to your life. I can hear it all the days of my life, but if I never take the step to apply it, it's never going to change me. Never. And so he says here in 2 Corinthians, he says, we destroy. What does that mean? It means destroy to leave nothing left of it, right? What did Elisha do with the plow and the oxen when 
Elijah came and laid the mantle on him. What did he do? He destroyed every bit of it. Oh, Holy Ghost, help me right here. Some of you need to destroy everything that you've been leaning on so that you can fully lean on Christ like you're supposed to. And that went over like a lead ball, but somebody needed to hear it. You need to destroy everything that is a crutch for you so you can depend on God like you're supposed to. We're too busy holding back the things that we think are necessary if God don't show up like he's supposed to. Well, at least I got something to fall back on. You know what the world tells kids today? You need to have a fallback plan. You need to have something else to fall back on. That's all well and good in their eyes, but in God's eyes, he said there is no plan B. There's no backup plan. It's just my plan. And if you trust me fully, then I'm going to give you what you need to get to where you need to go. You got to destroy the plan B. You got to do away with the thought that what if God don't come through? God has never failed and he cannot fail. It's not in his nature to fail. It's not possible. You thought that there was nothing that God couldn't do? I'm telling you, he cannot fail. He cannot lie. He cannot change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And if God required holiness in the Old Testament, he requires holiness in the New Testament. We're saved by grace, yes, but that's not a license for us to live any kind of crappy way that we want to live. Excuse my language. We've got to live in holiness. That means this, I've got to separate myself from the world, not just in how I look and how I dress in modesty. God, help me right here. We've got to dress modestly again because I'm sick and tired of seeing some people dressed in some certain kind of ways. I don't want my kids looking at it the way that people are dressed these days. I'm just telling you like it is. I was raised in holiness. I was raised in sanctification. I was raised to believe that God honors the way that you carry yourself. And it's still the same today. God didn't change, did he? The Bible says he can't. I'm God. I changeth not. That's what he said. So if we want to see God, we've got to live like God requires us to live. He said we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ. Obey is the Greek word, hupakoya. And it means this, the word signifies to listen or hear attentively, to listen, get this and write this down, with compliant submission. Mm. God help us. It means to listen with compliant submission. Sub, say it with me, submission. You'll hear that quite often in the Bible. Submission. To give myself with everything that I am. To submit myself. That word is used for obedience in general, but for obedience to God's commands and for Christ's obedience. If, if Christ obeyed his father, how much more should we obey the father? I'm gonna give you two more verses right here. Romans 12, two, very familiar. Romans 12, two. Some of you can quote it. You don't even have to turn there. Romans 12, two says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. How many times have you asked God, why, why don't I know my, your perfect will for my life? 
Why don't you just show me, God, what it is you want me to do? God, why can't I see this plan that you have for me? What does this verse of Scripture say? He says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you. Why don't I know? Because I hadn't changed that. I haven't allowed him to take this into captivity. I haven't allowed him to have all of my mind. Therefore, how can I know the will of God for my life, which is good and pleasing and perfect? To copy the behaviors and customs of the world is compared to a scheme or schematic. It refers to conforming oneself to the outer fashion or outward appearance. Why does the church dress like the world? Because something's wrong. Why do we say what the world says? Because something's wrong. We haven't renewed our minds. It says conforming oneself to the outer fashion or outward appearance, accommodating oneself to a modern pattern. A modern pattern. Last verse, Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, verse 15. Paul and Barnabas were teaching and, and doing things and there were healings happening. And these people of the city started to crowd around them and worship them like they were gods. And this is what Paul felt. He said, friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings just like you. We've come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. You know what that word worthless means? It means fruitless, empty, futile, frivolous, hollow, unreal, unproductive, lacking substance, ineffectual, void of results, devoid of force or success or utility. That's a mouthful for one word. How many of those things, don't raise your hand, apply to your life? I'm not saying you're worthless, but let's check our fruit. Let's check the fruit of our tree this morning. That's what scripture requires of us is to check the fruit that's in our life, right? If there are actions and deeds in my life that are hollow or unreal or unproductive, guess what the Bible says? It's worthless. It's worthless. You know what the Bible also says? Any man or woman that puts their hand to the plow and turns around, it's worthless not fit for the kingdom. Right? Are you with me? I want you to stand to your feet. I don't say any of this this morning to condemn because I don't believe the work of the Holy Spirit is to condemn. It's not the heart of the Father to bring condemnation or shame. It's the heart of the Father to give you an electric shock every once in a while and tell you that something's wrong. I heard a, a pastor tell a story of driving his father's boat and 
he was driving his father's boat and this indicator kept beeping and flashing. And so him and his sons went and disconnected the flashing light. And the more they kept driving the boat, the more the light would have been going off. But what happened is they blew the motor up on the boat because it was low on oil. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our life. He's an indicator of what's going wrong in our life and what we need in our life. As long as you listen to that indication from the Holy Spirit, you'll be okay. I've got to continually check myself by way of the Holy Spirit to see, am I lacking something? Is something in my life that is a shortcoming that I need God to do His work to make me an overcomer in that area? See, here's the thing. Holiness is imparted through Jesus. That's how we get holiness. It's imparted through Jesus. But here's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables you to walk in that holiness. Jesus gives you that ability to be called holy, but the Holy Spirit helps you to walk in that holiness. If I'm not seeking after the Holy Spirit every day of my life to come and change me and renew me and help me to walk in holiness, guess what? I'm not going to walk in holiness. Holiness and holy occur more than 900 times in the Bible. It must be pretty important. 900 times. I'm not here to beat us down this morning. I'm preaching to myself. If, if God said it 900 times in the Bible then it must, be, it must mean something to him. The Old Testament ho- holiness refers to cut or to separate, to cut off from what is unclean and to consecrate yourself to what is pure. Do you see the transition? See, that's why repentance means that I'm leaving one way of life and I'm going to walk a different way because I'm cutting off what is unclean in my life And I'm consecrating myself or separating myself, giving myself to what is pure. Righteousness is a change of position. Get this. It's a change of position followed by a change of condition. I changed my position on life, but at the same time, righteousness requires that the condition of my heart changes. The condition of my mind changes. The condition of my actions change. That's what righteousness requires. Sanctification is external in the fact that it separates you from sin. And it is internal in the fact that it purifies you from sin. See, the separation of sanctification means that this, I'm dedicated to God, but internally there's a work going on. I am being purified over and over and over again. Things I didn't know were wrong, God's going to reveal to me and show me, hey, that's wrong. Repentance removes the obstacle so that you can receive salvation. If you picture a mountain between you and the gift of salvation, it's this. Repentance says, I'm going to remove that mountain so that you can get to the free gift of salvation. Is the gift of salvation free? Yes, it is. Does it require repentance? Absolutely, it does. Absolutely, it does. 
Faith allows us to accept the gift. So once we repent, it removes the obstacle. But faith is what allows us to accept that free gift. Repentance focuses on sin. Faith focuses on God's mercy. I can't have faith for salvation until I feel the need for a Savior. And I can't have repentance without having faith in God's word about judgment and the promise of salvation. I want you to close your eyes for just a minute. I would be doing you and myself an injustice this morning if I didn't give you an opportunity to act on what you heard. I heard a man say, and I've read it, that if there's a hundred steps between you and God, he'll take 99 and all you got to take is one. All you have to take is one. If repentance removes the obstacle and faith allows me to accept the free gift of salvation, then I have to believe what God's word says about his judgment for those who don't accept him. See, faith in in Christ in order to receive salvation is not just believing that, that God is real. It's believing that Jesus actually is God and came and lived a perfect spotless life and died for my sins. But not only that, it's also believing what Jesus said and what God says about His justice requires judgment. If God is a just God, then one day we're going to be judged by everything that we do and everything that we say while we're in this body. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work on every single person that's in this place this morning and those that will listen to it online. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do the work that I cannot do, which is to touch the hearts and minds of people God, that you would show them that you care for them enough to warn them when things are wrong. God, I pray that you make it very real. Paint a very true and clear picture to us this morning that your judgment is imminent. It will happen. But we don't have to worry about judgment when we receive your salvation. So God, this morning, if there's anyone in this place that needs a heart change, needs a mind change, needs to get some things out, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convict them and show them that they need change. I want everybody to close your eyes and bow your head. If you feel there's something in you this morning that is keeping you from this walk, that's interfering with this separation from the world, I want you to just raise your hand. Nobody's going to see you. Just raise your hand right where you are. I see your hands. I see your hands. I see your hands. Now here is the question. What are you willing to do about that thing? It could be something very small. It could be the fact that your mindset is not right. It could be the fact that you just can't seem to make a conscious change on particular subjects. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction. Whatever the case may be, The Bible says to believe in your heart, but to confess with your mouth. And I'd love more than anything in this world to pray with you this morning. If you're willing to come up here.
Because the Bible says this, that when you stand before God, He says, if you're ashamed of me before man, Jesus said, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father. So whatever it is, however small, however big, if you would come and receive prayer this morning, I just want to agree with you. I don't want to do anything other than that. I just want to pray and agree with you. You don't even have to say what it is, if you would.